And we are super psyched to welcome our newest sponsor, Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle, that's West Seattle, or Portland stores. You'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I know because I'm in there a lot. Grab a cup of coffee, swing on in, don't spill your coffee, and check it all out. And now if you use code TOURSTORIES10, you can get 10% off at thunderroadguitars.com. Yes, that's me playing guitar. Hello, big news from our friends over at DistroKid. They now have an app. This app works on iOS and Android, of course. And it's available in the Apple Store and Google Play Stores and all the stores where you buy apps. Go check it out. It's got a lot of cool features. You can upload new releases. You can get notified when you've earned royalties. Awesome. You can withdraw from the app via push notifications. A little dangerous for me, but rad. Anyways, go check it out. It's all at distrokid.com app. And don't forget, you can still get 30% off your DistroKid account by going to distrokid.com slash VIP slash tour stories. Have a great one. And we continue to celebrate our friends and partners over at Isotope. And we got some big news for you. The gold standard of audio repair, RX-11, is coming in May. In the meantime, you can buy RX-10 now on sale and get RX-11 absolutely free when it's released. Tour Story listeners get 10% off by using code FRET10. That's F-R-E-T-1-0. All at isotope.com. That's I-Z-O-T-O-P-E dot com. Hi, Matt. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going all right. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Good. Uh, where are you? I am in my garage in Lawrence, Kansas. Has it turned winter in Kansas yet? Uh, no. Actually, uh, it's been surprisingly warm for November. In fact, after I'm done with this interview, I'm going to go uh, work in my garden for a little while because it's still nice enough to, to do that. I think this is my last day to do that in Seattle. Oh, nice. Everything's as dry as it's going to be mm-hmm. today, and then we'll have four months of wet yeah, well, we'll we'll have four months of cold with no snow. Seems to be our our kind of thing. It just gets really, yeah. it just gets cold here. We don't get to like have the. Very rarely do we get to have like the. At least if it snows, it's pretty out. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Here it just gets cold and everything's dead. <laughs> uh, I was born in Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, so was I. But I don't. Were you born at St. Joseph's Hospital? I was. <laughs> oh my God. Do you know Rob Lowe? Uh, yes, I do. I was in a band with Rob Lowe in high school. Rob was born at St. Joseph's also. Yes, he was. I think everybody and in that band that was in in high school was born at St. Joseph's uh, Hospital. If you guys get back together ever, can I be in the band? I'll do anything just to be a St. <laughs> Joseph. Alumni? Is that yeah. a thing that, like, where you were born, what hospital <laughs> you were born at? That's your alma mater? Yeah, it is now. Um. It sounds like you uh, grew up there in the Kansas City, yep. Missouri, Casey Lawrence Mo. era. Yeah. And um, as most people know, you were 
you've been in a bazillion bands, Get Up Kids, uh, New Amsterdam's, and a bazillion other projects. Um, and one thing I kind of noticed doing a little research on this, um, there was a lot of hiatuses and stops and starts with with your bands, but what I noted is that they were only breaks and stops and starts, and you always came back. Do you feel like you can stop playing music, or is that your thing? Uh, well, the the thing is, like, I, I really enjoy uh, writing uh, music mm-hmm. and and recording it and creating it. I can mm-hmm. kind of take or leave touring, like it doesn't uh, scratch the same sort of like itch that like being mm-hmm. creative does. And so I imagine I will be creative in some capacity or another until I can't physically do it anymore. But as far as like being a full-time touring, living in the back of a bus kind of musician, I don't, I don't see me myself doing that till I die. I do see myself right. creating until I die. Okay. Um, which brings us to this new book, mm-hmm. Red Letter Days. I've got a couple questions that stem from my jealousy of you writing this book. Um, okay. But first, when did you when did you just sit down and say I'm going to write a book? Uh, let's see. It's something that I had always kind of kicked around in my head. I started doing a podcast in 2012, and it was basically just kind of like listening to primarily comedians' podcasts where they're just interviewing other comedians and telling mm-hmm. stories. And I was just like, well, I could just do that. I can talk to my friends in bands because that's a weird life, and there's plenty of weird stories there. And then that kind of evolved into I've got all these stories. I'd like to like write them down and maybe see if I can put them in a book. And then it kind of became a challenge. Um, probably three years ago is when I when I started, started 2019, early 20. I think I, I must have started it like during the lockdown time. Because mm-hmm. uh, I, I think I just had a lot more free time as we all did. And right. uh, yeah, it was actually, I had read... Uh, Frank Turner's book, uh, The Road Beneath My Feet. And I had talked, Mm -hmm. he's a friend and I talked to him and he was just like, yeah, write a thousand words a day. And so I was like, okay, that seems like a manageable, you know, when you say, oh, I'm going to write 60, 70,000 words, that sounds insane. But if you're just like, I'm going to write a thousand words a day, that's like an hour, hour and a half. It's, you know. Okay. Yeah, and I want to talk even more specifically about your process a little bit later, but that that gives me a little bit of insight and quells this jealousy that I have, which is, and I want you to, to tell us what this book is, both to you and, and kind of what you think it is for the reader, but this book is a memoir. It's from Journals of Touring, but it's also your life from early childhood through your, your uh, career of rock and roll touring for the most part. Um, uh, the beginning of it, yeah. Yeah. And the part that I'm jealous of is that your your journaling is so clear, but I journaled. You and I did the same thing for about the same time in the same clubs. I can remember loading in a number of times when you guys, get up kids, were either loading out or loading into an adjacent club, either in Portland or 
Amsterdam or something. But my journaling, when I look back at it, is it's so embarrassing. And I and I wonder when you when you were writing this book and referencing all this stuff, was it scary? How were your journals looking to you? Well, in that regard, it was more of like sort of a, the jumping off point as far as like like um you know something that i i talk about with when people ask me about songwriting is just to kind of like any idea that comes into your head write it down or record it into your phone which you know of course you didn't do mm -hmm. in the 90s but uh you know and then you just kind of go back through and then it's just kind of like you know panning for gold you know well, yeah. or sifting through shit, you know, right. and it's just sort of like, okay, this sucks. This sucks. I mean, you know, for every, for every hundred songs, I mean, there's a lot of similarity. I mean, it's still writing one way or the other, but there's big mm -hmm. similarities as far as like the, uh, the filtering process, the editing process with writing songs and, and writing stories is just like you go through the first thing you have to do is go through all of the nonsense that you've written down and find the good bits and then mm -hmm. uh, you take those good bits and you extrapolate on them, whether it's a riff or a chorus or a line or, you know, the nuggets of a, of a story. And, you know, I mean, it, it's a little frustrating sometimes, like at, at least with this, it was like I could take a story from when I was 20 years old and retell it in my own voice as an adult. Whereas whenever we go back and visit our first album that we made when I was 20 years old, that's, you know, preserved in, in amber, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it has to be like, oh, these are the lyrics I wrote when I was 20. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Really yeah. having a hard time getting into that guy's head. <laughs> um, and so it was kind of like getting to sort of like reinterpret the, it's because the feelings are the same. It's just, uh, I like to think I'm a bit more articulate at 45 than I was at 20. So, yeah. What is a red letter days to you besides, um, you know, a laying out of your personal history? Was it cathartic? Was it simply artistic expression? Well, when I started it, it was just kind of a fun like exercise to see if it was interesting to do. And then mm -hmm. as I did it, it started to become, I guess there's a kind of phases to this. Uh, it was sort of like, oh, this is giving me the same feeling that writing music does. Um, and then it went through a whole process of once I finished it, that it, it, it kind of sent me into a depression because mm. uh, it was sort of like, not really like a midlife crisis in the sense of like my life sucks now. It was more of a like, who am I? Because like I had gone through this whole thing of like writing about who I was and how, um, how driven and focused I was when I was, you know, in my teens and twenties. And then that coincided with us doing the 25th anniversary tour of our first record. And I was mm -hmm. just like, Oh, have I just, did I peak? At 20, right. you know what I mean? Perspective, yeah. Because there is an element of it where, you know, being successful early is a blessing and a curse because it's sort of like, there are definitely some people out there that think the Get Up Kids' best record is the one we made when we were children and that everything we've made since then has been shit. Yeah. And 
I don't think that that's true, but you know, it's, it's still something that people, uh, express and sometimes those things you have to like wrestle with them and like figure out who you are, you know, as an adult, even though you're in a band with kids in the name. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like I was going to ask you kind of what was the, uh, the unpredictable hardest thing about writing this book. Did you ever hit a, a real wall? Well, like I said, the, the hardest part for me was after I finished it, like I, I didn't really hit any like um, creative walls with it because I had all these mm -hmm. stories in my head. There was a, there was a bit, I originally tried to write it completely as a, as a piece of fiction, like with mm -hmm. different people in the book having character names and some of them still do. But then it kind of got pointed out to me that like everybody knew who I was talking about anyway, so I might as well just use oh, their sure. real name. Yeah. Um, yeah, finishing the book kind of fucked me up. It actually helped lead to um, – it helped me get to kind of a, a rock bottom. I'm, I'm nine months sober now, and so it's sort of like finishing the book was sort of like the beginning of the end of that, uh, mm. that chapter of my life. I, I hadn't – I still had a lot more, um, lot further to fall before I, I quit, but um, I see that as sort of a turning point, which is also weird to then go back and have to edit a book that you wrote when you were still drinking when you're a sober person. Yeah, that's interesting. It, did, wow. it I don't recommend it. It's not fun. Yeah, and as I described the book, it's it's a memoir of of your life, and it covers a lot of touring and it's a lot of experiences that I've had and I find it super interesting but I love that your biography in the beginning that leads to that is uh, a large percentage of the book did you have an idea of just writing about touring only and forgetting about your non rock and roll life no this book only uh, takes place from about 1990 to 2000. So there's yeah. 20 more plus years of stories to still write. And I intend to do that. But it's, you know, traveling the world as a as a diabetic, and taking syringes with you to every country that you go to, I thought was a unique perspective, even within the unique perspective of having a musician's job, which is, you know, I've learned from talking to people is an odd profession to have when you're talking to people yeah. about work. And so to kind of explain that, I mean, you know, when you tell people that you went into a coma when you were in sixth grade, then they kind of go like, what, huh? And so mm -hmm. I was like, well, that's an interesting story. <laughs> I'll start sure. telling that yeah. one. It, and it is quite an interesting story. Well, I mean, and then crazy. it's interesting you brought up Rob, Rob Lowe, our friend from Kansas City before. So there's a whole, this, this band I was in in high school called Secular Theme, Rob was the singer of. And it's a very formative time in my life as far as like learning how to be in a band. Like not necessarily learning how to tour. We didn't tour, we were young. But like as far as this sort of like attitude of, uh, you know, it's kind of us against the world, you know, when you're, especially when you're like on stage, like you have to be kind of like, you don't want to have like an adversarial relationship with the audience, I don't think, but you do have to be like, it's, it's, it's kind of confrontational, I guess a little bit, but it's like, a, it's like a faux confidence that you have to have in order to like, 
Yeah. I mean, some people have it. It's just like regular confidence. For me, it's an act. But, um, you know, I learned that from, from that band more than anything. I think I learned um, that from watching, uh, speaking of it being an act, from like real serious straight edge hardcore bands. That was like drama class for me now that I think about it. Like what era and, of hard, of straight edge hardcore? You're talking about like Earth Crisis, Snapcase? Before, probably 89, uh, 88, 88, 89, East Bay, um, Rabid, Lassie. Uh, oh, wow. A bunch of small bands from the East. I grew up in the East Bay. so, And then I would go to Gilman Street and it would just be a mix of hippie bands and straight edge bands and stuff. But the straight edge, it was so, you know... There were so many rules, and uh, it was so distinct mm -hmm. that it really was like a textbook of how to act on stage if you chose to do that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how much that exists anymore. There's definitely kind of a post-warp tour, like pop punk and hard, like you know, emo, screamo, whatever subgenre you want to call it. Yeah. Of like, you know, this is how you interact with the crowd sort of thing you know that yeah we aren't really that versed in like our sort of like stage show is more of that of a of a party and like you're hanging out with your friends mm -hmm. um we were forged in clubs yeah and and going back to um red ladder days you sure you I'm want to talk interested... about this i'm kind of interested in the straight edge scene of the east bay in the 80s Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I'm just kind of curious uh, about it. Okay. Um, I mean, it was, let's see, how was it different than, you're familiar with the East Coast, right. Judge and all those. Mm -hmm. um, a little less muscular. Okay. But definitely straight edge rules, straight edge posturing, the violent hugging, hurting, but was picking there, up. Was there, was it a little, was it less clean cut? Was it a little bit more like gutter punk thrown in there? Cause like the East coast, the East coast straight edge was very like, it was jocks basically. It was like yeah, kind of yeah. like preppy jocks. And so it was like very clean cut. It was less than that. And I think East Bay specifically, I think just the mix of a club like Gilman street, which was the center of the universe for a lot of us. I think I saw Primus and green day on the same bill, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that could happen there. So to that, I think, the straight edge, it still had this, you know, a lot of it about being sober, which all came from D.C., but by the time it got there, yeah, maybe a little more crusty, but still, it was always an excuse, and I participated in this, this camaraderie of hurting each other in a pit, but also just waiting for that moment to pick someone up and help them. Yeah. You know. <clears throat> well, I mean, in, at, its, at its core, when a pit or hardcore is done correctly, it's a, it's a, it's a place of unity. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's not a place of violence. It's a place of, it's a place of like, yeah. we are all outcasts. We, none of us fit in with society, but we are, we feel like we're with our people and the way we express ourselves is not that different than the way other, you know, it's just like you're letting your stresses out and you found yeah. like a, a safe, you know, you know, from the outside looking in, it looks kind of violent, but like, it's really not, you know, it's yeah. just, it's just, you know, an expression of a, a release of tension. Yeah. I never felt, I mean, you know, it felt dangerous because you could catch an elbow or something, which I did, but I never, 
I felt like it was kind of rowdy, like wrestling almost, but not even, it wasn't even that dangerous. It was, no. it felt pretty good because you were also like connected in a moving unit together. So you would mm -hmm. kind of be tangled together anyway. So it would be, it, you topple together. I mean, are, everything. Are we writing straight edge lyrics? Topple together? Uh, you are. <laughs> oh, I'm not. Uh, you know, I mean, everything in that close proximity uh, is dangerous. I mean, I've been hit in the mouth with microphones. I've been hit in the eye with tuning pegs. Like it's just, mm -hmm. you know, it, sure. it's, it's a, you know, I mean, everything's, everything's dangerous. I guess so. You're right. Everything is dangerous. You know, it's kind of, um, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, what's that? And I don't actually, I'm not actually um, angry about it or anything, but like, I was like way into the whole like Gilman street thing from afar being like a lookout fan and, you know, an op Ivy fan and an early green day fan and, and that whole scene. And then when we started touring, they wouldn't, they wouldn't let us play there. I've never played at Gilman street. Really? And when we were just like, okay. And they're like, and it wasn't even the major label thing. Like we knew the rules about major labels, but we've never been on a major label. We've only ever yeah. been on an independent label and they just were like, nope. Yeah. And I don't know why, but what are you going to do? Hmm. Still open. I don't want to play there now. <laughs> uh, fuck, I got to play fuck, there once. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I only got to play there once, and I don't know how it happened. It, it, it felt miraculous then, but I was also only 18 years old. Yeah. So I took what I could get. Sorry to derail your interview to talk about, about hardcore That's in the okay. 80s. I, you know, if you want, it's your interview. It's not mine. We're talking about you. And your interests. I guess I have one question. I I do want to hear about your specific process of writing every day when you're writing this book. Did you have a wake up at nine and write for, as you said, for two hours? I I would go about one or two in the afternoon to my local brewery and have two beers and write for an hour. I would jokingly call it Hemingwaying because, yeah. you know, I was, drink, I was only drinking when I was working, which, yeah. you know, didn't last. But, uh, you know, that's that was kind of the, the process of it. Did you do all the editing or did you have an editor? I've never understood the editing process of a book. We have we had an editor who went through the book and then sent me what I guess is called a this is all new to me, too. A, uh, a red line edit where I had to then go through and I've read the book like 10 times now just to like look for mistakes and, and then also getting into like, you know, edits and, and details of like, are you sure you want to put this in there and that kind of thing? Or this guy was even going like, your dates are mixed up, <laughs> you know, or, or something like right. that, uh, which is also frustrating because, you know, I'm used to like making something and then putting it out into the world as a finished product and then having it be critiqued, but then to have someone like internally go through it line by line and be like, no, this is wrong. This is bad. Yeah. This is what you should change. And it's, it's hard for me to not just be like, well, fuck you then. Like, I'm just going to keep it the way that I want it. You know, right. it was perfect when I turned it in, but then I have to remember that that's not how drafts work, you know? Right. I wonder if it ever worked that way. It's like, here it is. No, this is actually it. Uh, I imagine Stephen King can do shit like that, but yeah. who knows? Maybe. 
Um, well, congratulations on the book. I have read most of it. Okay. Um, I had to skip around a little bit because I was reading it in Dropbox on a phone. Fair enough. And it comes out on the, uh, let's see, January 23rd? I believe that's correct, yes. Who's putting it out? So it's uh, the Washed Up Emo podcast started a, a book company, which they're just calling our publishing company, I guess, called Washed Up Books. And it's distributed through Polyvinyl uh, Records, mm. who mm-hmm. put out the last Get Up Kids record as well. So it's nice to nice to kind of stay in that in that house. Yes. I'm a member of Polyvinyl as well. Nice. I think. I, I was at one point. I hope they'll still accept me. Um, all right. Well, um, I look forward to holding it and reading it, the actual book. So congrats again. Thank you. And are you going to do any book readings, any book tours? Uh, we're, we're kind of in the process of booking a, a book tour. I'm, I imagine it will be... I don't, I don't know if I'm going to read from the book directly or if I'm just going to tell stories and sing songs because I, I don't know. There's something about reading from a book that someone else can read that just doesn't seem as interesting as like just telling a story. But we shall see. I will, I will take advice from the, uh, the people who have more experience in this area. I know how to put on a punk rock show. I've never done a book tour before. Right. I'm pretty do, confident do, I can do it, but I don't I don't really know what it is. I'm always surprised how much I like book readings. And I don't go I haven't historically been to, you know, a million of them, but they're the, they're always interesting and I also think you telling stories with a guitar is going to be great too. The only book reading I think I've ever really been to was David Sedaris and he was reading stuff <laughs> that hadn't been published yet. So yeah. that was kind of like just telling stories. You know, yeah. Seeing someone, seeing someone just recite something that maybe you already know doesn't sound that interesting to me. But all right. Well, if you make it to the West Coast, I'm going to come see whatever it is you do. Absolutely. Thanks for your time and congrats again. I'll see you down the road somewhere. Great, man. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks. Bye. Oh,